sing in the choir. You get to be with some cool people, and you learn new music, and it's just a great fellowship. If you would like to uh, to hang out with these people behind me, then then go up to JP, and I'm sure he is in a receiving mood. Um, and also this, you know, usually your mother told you not to tattletale on anybody, but if you're sitting next to someone who's got a good singing voice, then elbow them and say, why don't you go talk to JP? And uh, if they sound bad, just, I don't know, say bless your heart or something like that. Um, and along those lines, um, would, would you all turn and look at the, those two handsome men back there in the back, Matthew and Mike, back, look, look at them back there. We wave, we don't forget those, uh, we don't forget those. Uh, we need some help in the early service and in this service doing the audio and the video. If you are interested in learning how to do that so that you could go into a, a, a rotation and do it every so many weeks, um, then come and let me know or let, let some of them know and we'll work that out too. Our scripture today is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. If you want to turn with me in your Bible there and uh, follow along, if you have an app on your phone that you're, you're going to use, then now would be the time to do that. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you have uh, a notion to do so, you can follow along the outline. There's an insert in your bulletin, and there are some fill-ins, and there are answers to the fill-ins in the newsletters if you would like to do that. When I was in seminary, uh, my friend Phil came up to me all excited one day, and he said, I just got a call from the district superintendent, and I just got my first student appointment. I'm going to have a church to serve. And I said, that's great, Phil. I said, where is your church? Let me explain something. One, my student appointment uh, at this at this time was down in Roanoke, Alabama, uh, right on the Georgia line over there. And Phil was going to be in the North Georgia Conference, so his church was going to be over in the, across the Georgia line over in Georgia. So I said, Phil, where's your church? And he looked at me with a straight face and said, 
It's in Butts County on Big Damn Road. That's what I did. I laughed. I said, you're kidding. And he said, no, you can't make this stuff up. So uh, it turns out that Bill's church was out in the boondocks of North Georgia, and it was it was near, if this tells you anything, it was near a stretch of road where they, fill, uh, where they filmed the movie My Cousin Vinny. If you've ever seen that movie, it was, I mean, in the nowhere. But um, his first week at his new church, um, he had an elderly gentleman come up to get him and take him to show him all around Butts County and Big Dam Road and all of the sites to see where everybody lived and all. And he pulled back up into the parking driveway, and he looked at my friend Bill, and he said these words, Preacher, we've had some highs and lows at this here church, but with you, we're hoping to find a happy mediocre. Now, I think what he meant to say was happy medium, but what he actually said, happy mediocre, is probably closer to the truth. And that's my first point today, is that there's nothing happy about mediocre. Mediocre does not bring hope. Excellent is what brings hope. Several years ago, I found myself in the spot where I was going to have to have some surgery on my back. I had been in pain, and it had gotten worse instead of better, and then it got to where our pain was radiating down my arm and uh, about that much of my hand was numb and I was losing grip in my, my hand. I tried ice packs, I tried heating pads, I tried ibuprofen. I, I would have gone to a voodoo doctor if I thought it would have helped me any, but uh, I finally went to the doctor and I know before you even say so, I should have gone sooner, but I finally got through my sick spell and went to the doctor. They did an MRI on me and I went back to the doctor and he said, I've looked at these and um, I'm going to refer you to a surgeon at the Spine and Neuro Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and I rest assured, Mr. Hayes, this surgeon is one of the most mediocre surgeons in the state. He didn't say that. He didn't say that because if he had said that, I would have never let that person cut on me, would you? What he actually said was, the guy I'm sending you to is just excellent. And then he left the room and the nurse came over to me and, and you all know that if you really want to know the scoop, you ask the nurse. And so she said, he's telling you the truth because I used to work for that guy and he's one of the best surgeons anywhere. And he's got the wrinkles on his forehead to prove it. I don't know what wrinkles on the forehead had anything to do with it. But when I left the office that day, I had hope. I had hope that one of these days soon I was going to be free of pain and that I was going to get better. I had hope because I was promised excellence. And by the way, the surgeon was excellent, and the surgery went great, and I'm problem-free to this day because none of it really means their stuff. Excellence is the theme of our generosity series that we're kicking off today 
And our key verse is 2 Corinthians 8, 7. I want to share that again with you. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. But just as you excel in everything, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Excellence. Excellence is what we want in everything in this church, is it not? And the reason being is that excellence gives us hope. And so I think we know what excellence looks like when we see it. We may not be able to describe it, but we know it when we see it. We know what excellence sounds like in music. We know what excellence looks like in facilities and in the nurseries and in in the youth program. We know what excellence looks like when we have a fall fest. And by the way, thank you that you helped out and helped support. We had a really excellent fall fest this last week. Lots of pirates and little princesses were running around in there. But when it comes to excelling in the grace of giving, what does that look like? Well, I think we have some clues from the scripture we read this morning. And I want to point a couple of them out to you. I think we know we are excelling when we give in spite of our circumstances. See, Paul said that the Macedonian churches were excelling in the grace of giving. And I want you to think about their circumstances for just a minute. Paul uses these words to describe their circumstances. He says, severe trial and extreme poverty. Not just any trial, severe not just poor, but extremely poor. So in spite of these dire circumstances, Paul said that they welled up in rich generosity. And not only that, they overflowed with joy. Now that just, that just doesn't make sense. How in the world could they do that? When they're suffering and when they're struggling, how could they do that? The short answer to that question is a little word called grace. They could do that because God gave grace to them. You see what? On paper, it didn't make sense at all. If you were to run it through a supercomputer that did all the algorithms and everything, this formula looks weird. Here's the formula. Severe trial plus extreme poverty plus grace equals abundant joy and abounding generosity. Grace is pretty amazing, isn't it? As a matter of fact, I think somebody should write a hymn about how amazing grace is. Maybe one of y'all can do that one day. So next, I think we know we are excelling in the grace of giving when we give with enthusiasm. You see, giving with enthusiasm is so important because we all know, don't we, that you can, it's quite possible to give, but to give with the wrong attitude. Paul talks about attitude a lot in the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. He talks about four bad attitudes when it comes to giving. One is to give sparingly, not to be stingy. Paul says in verse 6 in chapter 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Don't be stingy. And then he talks about a bad attitude. I would call it to give haphazardly. He said each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Put thought and prayer and intention into it. Don't just give willy-nilly. And then another bad attitude in giving is to give reluctantly. 
we talked about that in verse 7. To give reluctantly is to give like, oh, no, I don't really want to. I don't really want to. Well, okay, I guess I'll just give in. That's reluctant. And then finally, the fourth one is to give forcibly. He says, not don't give under compulsion. I want I want to take a survey, and I want y'all to participate in the survey too. So, everyone who has siblings, who has brothers and sisters, raise your hand. You grew up with brothers and sisters. A lot of you thought of you had brothers and sisters. So go back to your childhood and your brothers and sisters. Did you ever have your mom and dad say to you that you had to share something with your siblings that you didn't want to share? Okay, just let your mind go there. You, you were made to share something. Okay. How did that make you feel? What was your state of mind at that point in time about sharing? Not good, was it? So that's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, don't give like somebody's twisting your arm. He finishes off by saying in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Paul uses the Macedonians as an example of enthusiastic giving. He says, these churches didn't have to be begged to give or begged to serve. He literally says, they begged. They urgently pleaded to be included. They begged to be included. How in the world could they do that? Well, the short answer is a little word called grace. See, they could give with enthusiasm because they themselves experienced God's grace. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, grace not only frees us from our sins, it frees us from ourselves. The grace of God will open your heart and your hands. Over the years, I've known a lot of enthusiastic givers and enthusiastic servers. And I'm not just talking about financial givers. I'm talking about givers of your time and givers of your talent. But I've never met one of these people who was enthusiastic about serving and giving that was not already acutely aware that God had graced them. Their attitude was, after all that God has done for me, how could I not do something for God? And then next, we know that we're excelling in the grace of giving when we give as Jesus gave. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What did Jesus give? Well, he, he gave it all. He, he gave himself. He gave it all. So why would we not give that ourselves to him? And that's what Paul said the Macedonian churches did. He said they gave their offering, but before they gave their offering, they gave themselves to the Lord. See, here's how it works. We give ourselves to the Lord, and then it only follows that we give ourselves to the needs of others. And for this reason, because we know that it is impossible to love God and ignore the needs of others. The Corinthian church had forgotten that. They had become inwardly focused. They were so worried and arguing about their spiritual gifts that they forgot about their spiritual grace, and that is the grace of giving. Jesus gave from the heart. He emptied himself. He gave his all. The Macedonians went above and beyond and excelled. And Paul said to the Corinthians church, he said, I want y'all to do that. I want you to be just as excellent in your giving as you are everything else. So the bottom line of all this is what about us? What about you and me?
need. And what about this most excellent church called Gadsden First United Methodist Church? And I want you, in closing, just to bring a little bit with you. What if would happen if we just gave to Gadsden? Out of kindness, out of kindness, out of treasure. One of the questions that I asked during the listening sessions, by the way, was was awesome. And I hope that you got to participate in one of the listening sessions. It was just a chance for me to listen to what you had and get feedback from you. But one of the questions that I threw out there for the listening sessions was this. If God just wildly blessed our church, what would it look like in five years? If God just wildly blessed our church, what would it look like in five years? And you might let that roll around in your head and your heart for a while. It might cause you to dream a little bit and to have some hope. It made me think about a story in Exodus 35 and 36, a story where Moses was in the wilderness with the Israelites And he called the people together and he said, uh, the Lord has commanded me to take an offering up and we're going to build a place of worship that we will put in the middle of our camp. It's going to be a portable place of worship because they were moving around in the wilderness. It wasn't going to be this temple or anything. It's going to be a tabernacle, a place of worship. But here's the thing. He said, we're not going to build this thing out of just junk laying around. We're not going to build it out of leftovers. It's going to be made out of precious materials like gold and silver and bronze. We're going to have fine linen of purple and scarlet and blue cloth. This is going to be a place where lamps are burning all the time. And it's going to be placed in the middle of camp where the center of this structure is going to be a place called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant will be kept. And you're going to know when this is in the middle of our camp that God is present with us all the time right in the middle of our lives and people kind of got excited about that it does sound exciting and verses 4 and 5 in Exodus 35 Moses said to the congregation of the Israelites this is the thing that the Lord has commanded take from among you an offering of the Lord let whoever is of a generous heart bring the Lord's offering gold, silver and bronze Did you catch that? Let whoever is of a generous heart bring an offering. Hmm. It's almost as if Moses is saying, look, if you're going to be stingy, or if you're going to just give reluctantly or haphazardly, or if you're going to give like somebody's twisting your arm, just put your wallet back in your pocket. Because we just want people who are of a generous heart to give. And when I read that, I thought to myself, Moses, that's no way to kick kick off a capital campaign. But here's the thing about people's hearts. That's where God works. And God works in the people's hearts. And you read the stories and you find that the people started bringing their most precious things and giving them to God. They didn't have dollars to give but they brought brooches and bracelets and necklaces and earrings and signet rings and all of those things and presented them to the Lord. And then the strangest things happened. I mean, really mind-boggling things happened. Moses' assistant came up to him and took him aside and said, hey, man, you got to give a break sometimes. 
we've got to stop this because the people have already given more than we need to do what God has asked us to do. We've got to stop it. And one of the most shocking verses in the Bible, Exodus 36, 6, says, Moses restrained the people from giving. And the word went out through the camp that they needed to give no more. I just want you to imagine a church that is so excellent in giving. I want you to imagine a church that sets goals and then exceeds those goals. A church where people of generous hearts come up to the pastors and to the staff and say, please, please let us help. Please, please put us to work. Let us give. Let us serve. Please. I want you to take just a minute and look around. Just look from your left to your right. Yeah, just really turn your head. Look around. Yeah, just look at the people. That's the kind of church that this church has become. That's the kind of church that we will be by God's grace. By God's grace. Let's pray. God, when we think about what you have given to us, how can we help but first give ourselves to you? next give everything that we have and everything that we promise for your kingdom our prayers and our presence and our gifts and our service and our witness help us even now to purpose in our hearts to respond with excellence in Jesus name closing hymn is number 389 and it reminds us